Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. We're going to be turning to the book of James. We started an old series last week, going to continue with that. Amen. This week, also, Brother Mason is getting together uh, a team, so to speak, for setting up and tearing down after our chili supper and hayride. And so he may be soliciting, coming to you, soliciting uh, your help uh, for certain things that he has on his master spreadsheet uh, of things. So just kind of putting that out there so you'll be aware. If he comes to talk to you, that's probably maybe what he's talking to you about. Amen. James chapter number 3, verses 1 and 2. So good to see everyone that is here today in the house of the Lord. To all of our guests, we welcome you to the First Apostolic Church. Amen. Thank you for being here today. James 3, in verse number 1 and verse number 2. <clears throat> My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation for in many things everybody say many for in many things we offend all if any man offend not in word the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body this morning under this uh subject matter today I want to talk about take it or leave it and that's basically with the mind frame concerning the fence you can either take offense or you can just leave it take it or leave it amen let's go to the lord today father we're thankful lord for this gathering of people we're thankful lord for your word that we center our lives around lord let that word become alive to us today lord help it god order our steps and direct our paths and give us instruction lord jesus for our life god we know lord that you will not fail us in this matter lord we praise you and thank you Jesus, God, for giving us this word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody say amen. amen. You may be seated this morning in the lovely name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Whew. Seems like we were just here. This has been a very busy week. We're glad to be here, though, today. Take it or leave it. There are, there are really basically two categories uh, of for offended people. When you talk about offended people, there are basically two categories. Those categories are these. Those who have been treated unjustly. That's one category. Those who have sincerely been treated unjustly. And then those who believe that they've been treated unjustly. So two categories. Fine line maybe sometimes between them. Even under the category of those who feel as though they've been treated unjustly, uh, that arises from a couple of, of places as well. If you feel like you've been unjustly, number one, you might feel that way because you are dealing with perhaps some inaccurate information. You can feel like you've been done unjustly because there's been inaccurate information that has come to you. Uh, perhaps something you heard was said that was never said. And so as a result of that, you feel offended over something that didn't even happen, but you have inaccurate information. Another reason why that you might believe that you've been treated unjustly is that you might have accurate information, but maybe you have a distorted perception of the accurate information. In other words, someone made a face 
and you interpreted that facial expression towards yourself in a certain way, and it didn't have anything to do with you. And so you, you have then the fact of maybe some accurate information. The face was made, but it didn't pertain to you. It was really toward Addison, you know, because she was being a stink pot. Jen looked down at her and gave her a face, and you thought that she was giving you the stink eye, but it was the right, the right information, just it was perceived wrong. It wasn't towards you. And so you have these categories where offenses can come, whether you feel like it or whether it truly Truly, did. I'm up here littering this morning, whether it truly happened. The Greek word for offend originally refers to that part of a trap that, is, that bait is attached to. The noun that, that that word is derived from is a trap that the bait is, is attached to. So when we talk about offense, we're talking about, it almost signifies like someone laying a trap in the way or a stumbling block in the way. And so the, 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 the prey, the one that's being preyed upon, has this trap. If you just think of it in the modern day world, has anybody ever set a mouse trap? I know they have very humane ways of catching mice nowadays. But whenever I was a child, it was traps. Traps that didn't give them a pat on the back or make them have sticky feet. Traps that was intended to take their lives. All right? And uh, with that being said, I remember as a kid, you know, mom would put different things on those traps. Uh, we did peanut butter. There was cheese. You know, you put a little bit of anything on those traps to lure them. But that mouse then, have you ever had a trap that was set and what was placed on the trap is gone, but the trap is still intact? It's not closed. It's, it's like that mouse is a genius, right? But that mouse has a, a choice in this whole trap engagement thing to either leave it or take it. To leave it or to take it. And, and uh, you know, sometimes we think whenever, you know, a trap set there for several days and we have other indications telling us there is still a mouse around here, right? Because cardboard's been ate and uh, there is, uh, yeah, other things that indicate that a mouse has been around. I don't have to go into details, right? Uh, and that trap is still there and it's like perfect and untouched. And you start to think, man, this is one smart mouse, this is one smart mouse that it can still get around, but it's kind of left that alone. And because it's left that alone, it has rendered the trap ineffective by leaving it alone, by avoiding it. And so the trap of offense, if we can say that today, and I'm not calling you all mice, meese, right? Okay, I'm not calling you all that today. But the trap of offense, it is even rendered ineffective when we avoid being drawn into it. Mm-hmm. whenever we choose not to take offense. And in addition, I even say you're one smart fella or woman whenever you choose not to be taken into the trap of offense. In Acts chapter 24, the apostle Paul it describes to us that he was knee-deep in, in some situations. He was knee-deep in some of the rows of false accusations, uh, there were a lot of conspiracies that were going on toward him that he was in. Uh, he was incarcerated on top of that. So there's just a lot of things that the Apostle Paul had going on in his life at this moment. And, and in this account, 
he again is making his defense. So think with me for a moment. There's accusations against him. There's conspiracies. People are conspiring against him. He's in prison. So this isn't a, this isn't a good day for the Apostle Paul, yet this is his defense in Acts 24 and verse number 16. Listen to what he says. He says, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. There's accusations. Paul says, I exercise not to be offended. There's conspiracies being made toward him. He says, I, 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 in other words, he's saying, I'm choosing not to be offended. He's incarcerated greatly many times falsely or over something that really didn't amount to the level of, of, of incarceration that they placed upon him. But he says, I'm exercising myself to be void. I have a conscience void of offense and notably toward man and toward God. And so with that being said, Paul is telling us that it's not always just easy, like second nature, to keep from being offended. Paul described in the terms, I exercise myself. When's the last time that you just associated exercise with something just second nature in your life? <laughs> now, some of you may have a regular regimen, but I'm just saying, usually when someone mentions exercise, be the sweat just forms on their forehead right away. That's going to be work. That requires some effort. And Paul says whenever it comes to choosing not to be offended, it takes work. It takes effort. It takes a mind frame. He says, I exercise myself in this matter to become better equipped not to be offended. And this is important. This is important. Because sometimes we think offense just happens between us, but sometimes we become offended at God. We do. We can become offended at God, amen, for various reasons and purposes. So it's not because Paul didn't have an occasion to be offended. He did. I explained to you some of the things that were going on in his life. But he's choosing, he's purposefully restraining himself from he's not taking the cheese, so to speak. He, he's not dabbling around with the peanut butter that's on the trap. He's, he's purposefully restraining himself from taking offense toward God or toward men. Because look, think with me for a moment. Okay, there's accusations. He might be able to pin that, Sister Cox, on a person, a man, right? They're accusing. But then, you know, he's incarcerated. Like, well, God, why did you let this happen? Huh? Right? So, matter of fact, one of the, and we'll probably get to it later on in the series, is uh, John the Baptist. He's, he's sitting in prison. Gene Edwards wrote a book on it, The Prisoner in the Third Cell. But he's sitting in prison. There's blind eyes being opened. There's all these things taking place. Some of the disciples come and visit, visit John, and he's asking, is this Jesus that's going around? Is, is he the one? Is he the one that was spoken of the Old Testament to come? Or should we look for another? You know, what, what's going on? And Jesus told the disciples, you tell John the blind, are, their eyes are being opened, the lame are walking, and you tell him all that, and then you tell him not to be offended in me. Why? Because if the Lord is helping the blind get their sight again, and, and, and the deaf, they're, 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 all this is happening, and the, the one that can't walk, the lame are walking, then surely he has power to get good old John the Baptist to preach the message of repentance out of prison. But Jesus didn't. He left him there. And so he was telling John, well, I'm telling you, I've done all these things, and it seems like, it seems like I'm not doing anything in your situation. Please don't take offense. 
I'm still here, John. And I could if I want to. But please don't take offense in my choice not to. Oh, I know that's heavy, isn't it? It is. It's hard sometimes. I think all of us, to a certain degree, probably somewhere in our lives, have, have, have flirted with the aspect of taking offense toward God. And we get offended a lot of times over things we don't understand that God does or doesn't do in our life. And it's easy then to become offended in that moment. Paul says, I, I, I exercise, and, and we know just on a real natural level, exercise is going to help you gain strength and perhaps endurance and uh, perhaps even help your health. And sometimes it's, it's painful. Brother Zach's not here, but I couldn't tell you the times on Wednesdays he's coming. He's like, oh, my legs, or, you know, all this stuff because he's been to the gym before he ever came to service. It's uncomfortable sometimes, but you do it anyway, don't you? Because there's an end result in mind, right? The, the, old, the old mantra is no pain, no, no gain. So there's an end result in mind. So yeah, I, I believe Paul, Paul was of the fabric of humanity like every one of us. I believe that it pained Paul to refuse some of the offenses that were happening in his life. It pained him not to say something. <laughs> Everybody doing Okay. Right? It pained him not to take the and just give them a piece of his mind. Think about it, if you give a piece of your mind here and there, you ain't gonna have a mind left. Amen. And so he said, I'm gonna avoid this uh, for against God and against man. This is a smart, this is a smart choice, Paul. Smart choice. Amen. We're not always successful at it, but it's a smart choice. If you'll remember from last week, we talked about how. One of the contributors, one of the contributors to offense can be pride. Pride. Whenever we get very, very selfish, we look out, again, society has been geared to look out for themselves and sometimes to look out for ourselves to the hurt of anybody else. <laughs> to look out for ourselves. Paul told Timothy one indication. He said, Timothy, my son in the gospel, one of the indications of the last days is that people are going to be lovers of themselves. They're going to be lovers of them, their own selves. So not only can pride help make you, make you the offender, it can help keep you offended. I deserve to feel like this. I deserve to feel hurt. I deserve to feel like people have mistreated me. I know this is tender today. I'm trying to push easy and ask if there's pain. I, I, I'm comfortable with this. Pride will keep us sometimes from admitting our, our really true condition, even at that. Sometimes pride will keep us from being honest. It will. I've been there. It happens all the whole time in church. The moment you ask someone how they're doing. Sometimes they don't want to tell you, not because they don't want to burden you with it, but because they're too prideful to admit that there's something going on. Been there. Everything's fine, Brother Fred, it's good. But in reality, i got this, this, and this going on. I shared some of those things with Brother Fred on preparity or night, some of the things going on in my own personal life, amen, that's happening. Amen. And so sometimes just admitting those things, pride, you want to keep those to yourself. There are times we say certain things, didn't bother us. That didn't bother me. Just to save face. 
It really did bother us, but we like to play off that it didn't bother us. Because we're tough. Man, we're made of steel. We're like brass nails. But inside, when no one else is around, we're, we're dealing with some, some hurt. We're dealing with some concern. And so we deny it hurting. And some of the reasons why we do that, yeah, maybe pride, but other reasons is we don't want anybody to probe in to that hurt. Right? Don't want anybody to probe into that hurt. But whenever we just allow that to lay there and it goes untreated, hmm, sometimes then that's where the Bible speaks of a seed of bitterness can take root in fertile soil of hurt and pain. Amen? So sometimes we must be honest with ourselves and honest with God. Amen about where we are. I know he knows all things, but there is something that's liberating in confessing to God that you're going through some hurt and pain. He knows it. I mean, he knows even the sins in our life, but he still wants us to repent, right? There's a lot of stuff he knows, but he understands the power in confessing something. The power in the confession of, Lord, I'm in a bad spot right now. And I got some, I got some hurt and I got some feelings right now that are kind of on the edge and the envelope has been pushed too far in my life and I'm like a, a bomb that's ticking, tick, 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 and I'm going to be... There's something liberating in just describing that unto the Lord sometimes. Someone once said that the smallest package that we have ever seen in the world is a man wrapped up in himself. Amen. Pride can make you feel like a victim. Hmm? Again, back to the subject matter of pride, it can come to the place, and I'm talking along those lines, again, offense is either it really happened or you feel like it happened. Your attitude can become, well, I was mistreated, I was misjudged, and then we justify so I can behave like I'm going to behave. It's, it's okay for me to be angry with the world. Huh? It's okay for me to be short-tempered because I've been mistreated and I've been misjudged. Someone say amen. Because mm. another thing is, if, if you feel you are, because you believe, let's say that, believe is a good word. If you believe you're innocent and you've been falsely accused, let's all get on the same page here. If you believe you're innocent and you've been falsely accused, tell me how quick do you think you'll offer forgiveness if you think you're innocent and you've been falsely accused? Not in a thousand days, right? Because this is my ground and I know I'm okay. Man, this is, I wish I brought a beach towel today. I'm going to start sweating profusely up here. But when we do that, when we find ourselves in that place and we don't forgive, guess what we've also done? We've built up a wall for God's forgiveness into our life. We have scriptural context for that. So we want to be forgiving. In the book of Revelation, Jesus, he addressed one of the seven churches of Asia, Asia the church of Laodicea, and he told them, First, telling them how they saw themselves. He's dealing with the church of Laodicea. And he says, here's, here's how you see yourself, right? Because the way that we see ourselves sometimes isn't always accurate. 
He says, Church of Laodicea, you see yourselves as rich. You see yourselves as wealthy. You see yourselves of having need of nothing. He says, but the true condition of you, I know that's how you see you, but the true condition of you is that you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. See, the church at Laodicea had, had mistaken their financial strength for spiritual strength. Amen. But their pride really hid their true condition. This is what we are, and it seems like the Lord points out there in many ways they are not. But their pride was suppressing their true offenses, suppressing who they really were. All right, and it was nurturing something different than what they truly were. Let's go to Proverbs chapter number 18. I got to move on today. Proverbs 18 and verse 19. We read this verse last week, but we come back to it, amen, this morning. It says, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Uh, we talked about last week a strong city in those days of, of the Old Testament in particular, well-fortified walls, thick, thick walls. Uh, for instance, the walls of Jericho, uh, history tells us and we read of culture that the walls were so wide that a couple chariots could ride on that wall, on the top of that wall. So we're talking about strong cities with walls about them, which purposefully, those walls are there uh, for protection. Those walls are there to keep certain things on the outside not coming in and vice versa, some things on the inside not to get out those walls were a screen and they they were there for a purpose but whenever it comes to being offended sometimes we start becoming bricklayers at the moment of offense we become masons we got our cylinder blocks out we're starting to put the mortar on there and we're we're building walls then around our lives because we've been hurt we've been offended by somebody and no one that's been hurt wants to be hurt Again, right? And so in particular, Sister Malin, you hurt me. I'm building a wall. I'm not Trump, but I'm building a wall because I don't want Sister Malin to hurt me again because by all means, if she did it once, my mind's thinking, she'd probably do it again. Huh? Brother Ethan's smiling over here. He's been hurt by Sister Malin. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Amen. We build our walls. But a lot of times when we build our walls around ourselves, guess what? You've not only kept Sister Malin out of your life, you kept Brother Fred out of your life. You kept Bishop McGee out of your life. You, you've isolated yourself by yourself. But a person that's offended, that's, they just go to become bricklayers and masons. They start building their, law, their walls. So we will we won't only let those that we believe won't hurt us, you know, into, into our well-fortified space. But again, we got expectations there because we're letting them in thinking, I'm only going to let them in because I know they're not going to hurt me. But our scripture text tells us in many things we offend all. They're going to hurt you too. And you're going to have allowed them into your big fortress that you spent all this time on. Huh? You spent all this time on mortar and brick to keep from being hurt again when you can make some more relationships with the same time. We're going to open ourselves up to be hurt. You're going to be hurt. I'm going to hurt you. You're going to hurt me. It's just part of the dynamic of life. 
Someone just hasn't hurt you yet. All right? So people you let in your life that you might have high expectations of and maybe haven't hurt you yet, here's what happens when we build our walls. We've been hurt, we build our wall. I'm letting that person in because they've not hurt me yet. Everybody doing okay? <laughs> I'm going to let them into my space because they've not hurt me yet. Now, here's some different scenarios that can happen. The person you invited in, they may have been hurt at one time by the same person that caused you to build your wall. So you let them in because you've not been hurt by them yet, but they've been hurt by the same person you've been hurt by. <laughs> it's getting really wordy. <laughs> Amen. But whenever this happens, this is what happens. You and the other person begin to feed off each other about how justified you are in the wall you build against the one that hurt both of you. Everybody doing okay? God help us. And so there's always, though, in this, this thing called offense, there's always a status quo challenge. Because sometimes you let somebody then into your wall that hasn't hurt you yet, but also they've never been hurt by the person that hurt you. And the status quo challenge happens whenever you start talking about your offense and how you're justified toward the person that hurt you and that person that's in your wall that hasn't hurt you yet has not been hurt by that person and they come to the person that hurt you defense and start talking about how really they're not that bad of a person. Now you got an issue. You have somebody that never hurt you inside your wall that is speaking well of the person that hurt you that you don't have very good feelings toward right now. So now you got to choose, is the person I allowed in going to be kicked back outside my wall? Come on. I know, I know it sounds hilarious, but this is what we do. Well, if you're not going to agree with me about my hurtful situation here, then I don't know. You're going to be part of the ones that hurt me because that hurts me for you to say that. And we got the dog chasing its tail. Huh? <laughs> Someone say amen. So there's a status quo then inside. You got a negative voice toward this person. You have a positive voice toward this person. Now here's the awesome thing though. When you've invited that person in, there's a chance this thing could really result in two different ways. There's a chance that the positive words of the person that has not hurt you yet maybe will help you see clearly on how to get past your offense with the one on the outside of the wall. Hopefully that person can be a tool of healing for you to move on beyond your hurt. And even if it's a justifiable hurt, because we get offended. Maybe they'll, they'll help us move beyond that so that we don't hold on to it where it becomes resentment and bitterness and hatred. Huh? That we'll move beyond that, amen, and then be able to tear down our wall and live life together again, still have a relationship there with the other person. Or like I already said, the opposite can happen. You boot that person out too and just everybody's against you. You're the victim mistreated, misjudged, and nobody understands where you're at. Amen. Matthew 24 and verse number 10. 
He'll show back up, Sister Jen. That's the second child of Maddie and Sean, the third, or the first one, the third child's on the way. I'll grab him. Aha! You were found out. doesn't hurt my feelings that a child runs around in church or that there's a child to run around. Does that make sense? Amen. Matthew 24, verse number 10. Because believe you me, I was a demon. Short story. Years ago, years ago on, on Brown Street in Princeton, right across the street was the church that we attended, a little white building, Pastor Paul Poole. I was young probably four-ish, right around in that area. And you know those little receipt rows, you know, the, the big receipt bulk, and at the end there's always a little bit of receipt left on the row. Well, I used to get those. I don't know where Mom and Dad got them from. Maybe it was McGee Garage. I don't know. But I got that little receipt row. It had the cardboard center and paper on it. Well, I'd take that to church and draw on it, you know, and such. So we're at church one time, and I got that little receipt row on the end of a pen, and I'm twirling it. And the little tail starts getting longer. I twirl it faster because I think that's pretty cool. Well, you know the, the force that happens as you spin something on the end of a pin? Well, it was there, and then it was not. That thing had shot up during the middle of church off the end of my pin with like a ticker tape tail that went through. And since our house was across the street, that's where we went. That's where Dad took me. And uh, I'm just glad to say today that I walked over, but I was limping back, you know. I'm just, no. He wore me out over that, and that's okay. Matthew 24, verse number 10. Are we there yet, Brother Mason? That gave everybody time. There's you a little, a little peering into the life of, of Paul McGee before Christ. <laughs> and then many, and then shall many be offended. Now, this is in on the context of last days, okay? And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So the disciples are asking the Lord at this time, Lord, what, what will the sign, what will the sign of your coming be? What, what will be some of the signs and the indications that the coming of the Lord is close? And one of the responses of Jesus to his disciples was this. Then shall many be offended. One of the signs and indicators of getting closer to the coming of the Lord is the, the, the increase of offense. Boy, that isn't just church context. That's world context. The, the, the increase of offense. Look in just those few verses. How many, how many times the word many is used? Many offended. Many false prophets deceive many. Love of many wax code. And who's offended here? Important, even for this particular scripture. Who's offended? He said, the, who? who? The love of many. He's talking to his disciples. The love of many is going to wax code. We don't just have, we just don't have the world that gets offended. But guess what? Christians get offended. 
Why are you saying he's talking about Christians? Because he said the love of many shall wax cold. So those had to be somebody that was in a relationship with the maker for the love to wax cold. Amen. The word for love here is agape. Many people are familiar with that, with that Greek word, agape. That is the love of God. That is described as the unconditional type of love, a love that is not based on performance, a love that is not expecting anything in return. That's what we talk about when we talk about the unconditional love of God. It doesn't expect anything in return. It's not based upon performance. It's a love that's acquired by God or through God. Amen. So we are talking about people who had demonstrated at one time the agape love of the Lord Jesus Christ. People that also didn't expect things in return and it wasn't based upon performance. Uh, They had that at one time. But now, because the love has grown cold, now there's many offenses. The Bible says in Galatians 5 and verse 13, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love, the word agape, unconditional love, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled, everybody say one word. One word. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, but if ye bite and devour one another take heed that ye be not consumed one of another so paul gave us a phrase to love your neighbor love your neighbor as thyself whenever he said the law is fulfilled in one word he gave us a phrase but the word in the phrase of course is love is what paul is referring to that all of the law is really bound up in the word love you look at the Ten Commandments, right? About half of them uh, pertain to our relationship with God. The other half pertain to our relationship with mankind. Don't steal, don't murder, don't bear false witness against your neighbor, right? There's a division. But if you can get love straight, then it will help with your relationship with God and your relationship with fellow man. So all of the law is summed up really in one word, and that word is love. Amen. And so the love of the New Testament church, that agape love, was the saints serving one another. That unconditional agape love of God calls them, it was the force behind them serving one another. Did those early Christians of the church at Corinth and Galatia and, 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 and Thessalonica, all of them, did those first Christians have hurts? Yes. Did they offend one another? Yes, but they could go on because of love. Right? Because Brother Zach told us not too long ago when he ministered, right, talking about 1 Corinthians 13, that it love bears all things. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Huh? Right? And so you can, you can have love and still be offended and move on because you have love. Amen. Because love won't only cause a person not to weigh too heavily on the wrongs that, that have been done, whether perceived or real, but it'll also cause them to go the other distance, maybe with mercy and grace. I don't always get it right, but I try to think of my own life sometimes about where I've been an idiot. I know. And think, you know what? I would like to give to them what I needed that moment when I was stupid. And I think about 
you know, I'll probably be stupid again somewhere along the way. So I hope I can give to them what I would need in that moment. The greatest testament of the church should be that we offend all, but we're still in this thing together. We offend all, but we're still, we still love one another. We still care about the future of one another. We still help one another. Although I've hurt you, you've hurt me. We've got past it enough. We can help each other and not hold a grudge. So you're like, I'm not going to help them because one time they X, Y, Z. Well, the same could probably said for you too. So let's build, let's build on Let's build, let's join those weaknesses together and find strength. Huh? From one another. So the great proof of a church isn't that it doesn't have any problems. That's not the great proof of a church. The great proof of a church is that it continues through love, though it does have problems. John 13, verse 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. If ye have love, that's the agape love, if ye have love one to another. Notice, Christ doesn't say you will know, you will know that they are my disciples if they never hurt one another. That wasn't it. He didn't say you'll know they're my disciples if they never have an offense with one another. That wasn't it. Matter of fact, that's impossible. Throughout the Gospels, with the disciples, you see a spirit of competition and them hurting each other all the time. You see the disciples having ill feelings toward one another. You do. You know, some are buying at the right hand, you know. Others are saying, well, you know, who's the greatest among us? And they're bickering back and forth. And they're having discussions. They're offending one another. But the litmus test for them being his was the love they had in spite of the hurts, in spite of the events, the love they had. So, so I don't want to disappoint anyone, but as you increase numbers of people, you increase numbers of problems, and you multiply the possibility of offenses. Hmm? Amen. And Acts, look at this, Acts chapter 6, we're going to go there. So the Acts of the Apostles... On the day of Pentecost, right, there's 120 in the upper room. By the day's end, 3,000 was added to the church. Then you go just a little further, and there's, the Bible speaks that there were 5,000 men, just spoke about men, we're talking about in the book of Acts, whenever around the occurrence of the, the lame man at the gate, beautiful happening, the Bible says there are about 5,000 men. So we have 120 to 3,000, about 5,000 men. And then as you get further in the book of Acts, the record starts to speak about how there was a record of multitudes of people, both men and women. So we're talking about quite a crowd. And look what happened around chapter 6 of Acts in verse 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring. Huh? We're not at the 120 stage now. We're at the multitude stage. And there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because the widows were neglected in the daily ministration. What's going on? Somebody's offended. Amen. You increase numbers, you increase problems, you multiply the possibility of offense. But Paul tells us, Paul tells us the law is fulfilled by the unconditional love. And that type of love, 
Hear me clearly. Unconditional love can only be known in an arena of offense. What? Unconditional love can only be known in the arena of offense. Because how would you know if it was unconditional? How would you know if it was unconditional if there wasn't some things that you were going to love through and past going on? Huh? Everybody doing okay? It's only known in the environment of offense. If we don't risk being hurt, we can't give unconditional love. Unconditional love gives others the right to hurt us. Oh, it's our minds. It gives others the right to hurt us. And if there was never an offense, if there was a never an opportunity for an offense, the agape love would have no platform to practice on with its unconditioned of expecting nothing or uh, evaluating on performance. Matthew chapter number 5 and verse 44, I've got to run. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? In other words, it says if you only scratch people's back that scratch yours, what, what really proof is there? And that's heavy. That's hard to swallow, sometimes more than others. He says, but if you abandon, if you abandon that love, if you abandon that love, the, the results differ. There will not be this, this, you know, loving them that have mistreated you or done you wrong. If you abandon love, if the love wax code, the results differs. It goes back to Galatians. He said the laws, the laws fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself, that one word main, mainly being love. But he says, but, saying in contrast to love, but if you bite and devour one another, Take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. See, this is, this is how offense can become very ugly whenever you leave love out of the picture. Bite. The word bite in the Greek means, and it's a metaphor, to bite with the teeth. It means to wound the soul. Cut. Lacerate. Rend with approaches. The word devour in the Greek language, again, a metaphor, to eat up, but it means to strip one of his goods, to ruin. The word consume in the Greek means to expend, use up, destroy. So when love isn't involved in our offenses, meaning you can be offended and still, still, there still be love in the picture. You're just going to be offended. Without love, offenses go from wounding Biting to ruining, huh? To destroying. Paul was cautioning the people. He's saying, without love, says this, it's fulfilled in one word love, but you bite and you devour, you consume. Without love, offenses will destroy you. Mm hmm. It'll destroy you. Amen. 
But if you can get love in the picture, the unconditional love in the picture, that's not performance-based, not expecting anything in return, amen, you can move beyond that moment of infraction, beyond that moment of accusation, beyond that moment of conspiracy or offense, whatever it may be. Again, Matthew 24 and verse 10, and then shall... Matthew 24, 10. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Notice the progression. Offense, betrayal, hate. Offense, betrayal, hate. Offense often leads to feelings of feel like you've been betrayed, which can then lead to feelings of hate toward the one who did this. In betrayal, we seek our own benefit or our protection at somebody else's expense, right? And then lastly, we hate, we hate. And in the New Testament, hate was even held to a higher standard. It calls such a one that hated to a degree that they're a murderer, all right? But whenever we look, though, in verse number 11, some of these ideas that's going on, says some of the, in, in Matthew 24, we're talking about things that would happen in the end times, or indicators of the coming uh, of the Lord would be that many would be offended. It also speaks about how there would be many false prophets that would arise and they would deceive many. Amen. But notice, the many deceived will be those offended and those who are offended are those whose love has waxed cold. And the ones whose love has waxed cold is because their iniquity has abounded. Amen. All it takes to deceive all it takes to deceive an offended person is to elaborate on the negative feelings that they have toward their offender. Mm-hmm. Which sometimes, for the last day scenario, includes God. People will be deceived in the last days because people will capitalize on people's offense toward God. Mm-hmm. Jesus calls the false prophets wolves in sheep's clothing in Matthew 7. And you know the, 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 the trait or the characterization of the wolf is the wolf goes after the wounded and the young sheep, not the healthy and the strong. I want to get those on the outskirts. So if there is a progression from offense to betrayal and to hate, it may be, and this is just deduction, we don't know for sure, but it may be safe to deduce, maybe question Scripture a little bit, that since the Bible describes that Jesus was the betrayer, that he betrayed, that perhaps that before Jesus betrayed the Lord, he was offended by the Lord. Amen. I don't know what it could have been. Maybe it was because the times the Lord took that inner circle of Peter, James, and John for certain things and Judas wasn't a part of the circle. Maybe Judas could have become offended at that. Why do they get to go? And not, I'm the treasurer. Nonetheless, he was the betrayal, and a lot of times offense precedes betrayal. But look where, where it goes for Judas. It goes beyond even betrayal, doesn't it? Hmm? We don't stand alone having opportunity for offense. We offend all. And Jesus, in his greatest hour of need, guess what? Those that were the closest to him, his disciples, he could have been offended by. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, verse number 21, 
For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Everybody fled from the Lord. Remember, they came to the garden, it just wasn't Peter. They all fled. I mean, these are the ones he had invested the past three and a half years of his life into. These are the ones that he fed some of the bread of, of, of the fish and the loaves to, right? I mean, he, he healed Peter's mother-in-law of fever. Maybe, maybe Peter didn't look on that too kindly. I don't know, but he healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever, you know. We got all these different things. And yet, whenever he was in his greatest hour of need of the friendship of them, I don't know who he is, <laughs> Peter said it verbally, but everybody else took flight with actions. Matter of fact, at the cross, we only really have John the Baptist and, of course, Peter at a distance. He could have been offended in that. But he took that offense and he nailed it to the cross. He didn't revile back when they reviled against him. The Bible says that none of that was found in his mouth. He was like a lamb being led to the slaughter. He was, he, he, he was, he was at their mercy. The Bible says in verse 23, he committed himself to him that judges judgeth righteously stand with me today so this is the urging for myself from scripture that the next time i have opportunity for offense maybe i should also commit myself to the one that judges righteously rather than reviling again rather than taking the cheese and the peanut butter off the arm that could ensnare me. Maybe rather than taking it, I'll just be smarter for avoiding it and I'll leave it. And doing so, the trap will be ineffective because I just left it there. That all, folks, please listen to Pastor McGee, that all is much easier said than done. But I believe with the Lord's help, it's not impossible. All right? It's not impossible. We offend all. So take it or leave it. How bad do you want that peanut butter? <laughs> huh? Let's bow our heads today in this place. I know whenever we come together, just with a group this size, that there's somebody in this place this morning that's dealing with offense. There's somebody here today. This, I, 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 I'm not spiritual, super spiritual in saying this. I'm just saying this because I know the fabric of humanity. There's somebody here that's probably dealing with offense, and there's probably someone here that has offended. And there are choices being made right now in this moment. And how to respond to what has either actually happened or to what we perceive, what we perceive has happened. And so this is a great place today. The house of God is a great place. And the love of God, the Bible says, is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Amen. This is a great place to bring your offenses unto the Lord.
This is a great place to bring the things that you don't understand and perhaps the things that you have misunderstood unto the Lord. This morning, it may not even be an offense with, with a brother or sister or a relative or a friend or maybe someone you don't even know much. It might not even be an offense there. There could be someone here today that has an offense toward God. There could be somebody here today that has an offense toward God. You're not really happy with God right now. You feel like he should have he acted differently or done differently, so and so forth. I'm, I'm telling you that. I'm not telling you that or saying that today that I am bashing anybody that you have some offense toward God because believe me, I've been there too. I've been there and I have felt like that Lord kind of deserved better than what was served or what the outcome was and almost feeling a little offensive toward the Lord. But you're in a good place today. You're in a good place today. I'm just asking if you would just commit yourself to the hands of him who does justly. If you have an offense toward God, I, I'm just asking that maybe greater, greater than saying, God, grant me understanding is God, help me, Lord, to trust. Help me, Lord, to trust the process or to trust, Lord, the inactions or the actions of what have taken place. To understand, God, that you said you would never leave me. You would never forsake me. God, that you have my best in mind, though I can't really, I can't really equate this right now. I can't really bring and direct, make a direct line of understanding right now. Folks, we're in this thing together. I'm going to hurt you. You're going to hurt me. We're part of this body called Christ. We're part of this thing called the church. It's going to happen. But can't we just have a spirit of love? Can there just be a spirit of love that would just, just, just totally permeate this place, permeate our lives, that I can look you in the eye and say, you know what, we, there's been times that we've had offenses, but I, I choose to love you, I choose to help you, I choose to support you, because I know somewhere along the way I've rubbed you wrong as well. I'm not going to build up a wall. I'm not going to quarantine myself over here and forever be at odds with you. No, I'm going to tear that down. I'm going to allow people in my space and be able to have relationships and love, and by doing so make myself vulnerable for hurt. But the love that I get all those other days, it surpasses, it surpasses the hurt that I may sustain in a day or in something said or a look that's taken place or an action that may have been perceived wrong. These altars are open today. I wish as many as could that would come forward this morning. I know no one wants to be that person, but if we all could just gather in these altars and say, God, I, I'm an offended person right here, or God, I have been an offender. Lord, on both sides, God. Lord, I have felt offense towards you. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, you would help me. Lord, let me, God, to fulfill the law in that one word of love. I pray, oh, God, today it doesn't erase the wrongs, but it just aids me to move through them. Lord, and to keep relationships, God, and not allow them to totally dissolve. Lord, to break down. God, even in homes and marriages, Lord, we get offenses between husbands and wives and children and parents. I pray, oh, God, today. Hallelujah, let there be a spirit of the Lord. God, that can oil, Lord, all the relationships, Lord, of our lives. God, we submit them to you today. Mm. He's all I need, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for listening. 
If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.